Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. The breastplate of righteousness is crucial if you're going to fight this fight and win. But how do you wear righteousness? And why is it important to understand the difference between being declared righteous and actually living righteousness? You don't just stand, you have to fight to stand. That's what this whole series has been about. It's a real fight. There's a real battle, a real war going on all around us with a real enemy and real consequences, right? I mean, we've looked at it um, all through this series. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says, though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh, right? It's, it's a war, but I've said it's not that kind of war, you know, it's different from, you know, explosions and uh, troops and guns and missiles. It's different from that. It's not that kind of war. But you do have a real enemy who is out for you, right? Uh, in First Peter, we're told to stay alert, to watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, yeah, your enemy has a real strategy on you. And so it's imperative for me and you to have a real strategy for defeating his purposes in our lives. So we're given spiritual weapons with which we fight in this war. In 2 Corinthians 10, it says the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. That was a good sermon talking about strongholds. We, we talked about the way the enemy doesn't invade your life with tanks and troops. He invades your mind. He plants doubt. He asks questions, and he builds strongholds. He builds patterns of bad thinking that keep you in defeat, that keep you uh, down all the time. And the weapons that God gives us will destroy those strongholds that the enemy has in our lives. And of course, we can only fight and win this fight because of Jesus, right? Jesus is the one who makes our victory possible because he is the one that's victorious in our lives, right? Okay, now listen, I'm going to need some help today, okay? I'm going to need you to act like you're awake just a little bit, okay? Because it's hot in this room right now. I don't know how you're feeling. I'm feeling pretty hot in here right now, and I might start dozing off. So I need you to talk back to me just a little bit today and let me know you're with me. Are you with me? Yes. Okay. Oh, that's so good. Thank you. So good. Um, that I, I could have used you in the first service. So Jesus is the one who wins this, right? He wins this for us and he wins this through us. Look at, look at what it says here in Colossians 2. Colossians 2 says that he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. He disarmed and shamed them. He did this. Is there anything about this that strikes you? Okay, look at this. He did this in the past. He past tense disarmed them. He past tense shamed them. Doesn't that raise a question in your head? 
I mean, I'm looking at this and I'm seeing past tense. Clearly, there's something that has happened, right? I mean, even since this victory, stuff continues to happen, right? I mean, do, do you understand that we're talking about fighting, but yet it looks like the victory happened before, has already happened, Scripture is pretty clear that there is still an ongoing battle. In fact, in Romans 8, it says that all creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning under the suffering as the result of sin, groaning as in the pains of childbirth. In other words, it's just getting more and more painful all the time. So groaning... The world, all of creation groaning uh, right up to the present time, right? And this is written after he disarmed and shamed. Even to the present time, there is still suffering, there is still pain, there are still casualties in this spiritual war, right? And clearly, I have some responsibility in this, right? Paul tells Timothy in First Timothy, he says, fight the good fight of the faith, right? And, and we're told in Philippians that we're all in this struggle together. And of course, we've been looking for the last few weeks at my responsibility in this ongoing thing. Ephesians 6 says, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. So we talked about this last week, stand your ground. Stand your ground. There's something still going on. The past tense victory happened, yet I still have a responsibility to fight. What? Here's the first blank on your page if you're taking notes. It's the question, if Christ won, then why do we still fight? If the victory has already been determined, why is there still an ongoing war? Clearly, Something has happened in the past in the spiritual realm. He disarmed and shamed those evil spiritual rulers. Something happened in the spiritual realm, sort of like a reality that is there, but isn't fully recognized here. There's something going on in that realm that we can't quite get our heads around yet here. Oh, and don't worry, it gets even weirder. Uh, in Ephesians 1, look at this. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, and here's what he says. He says this, look at this. At, this is the plan, he says, this is the plan. At the right time, at the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. That's a way to say in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. So at the right time in the future, at some point in time, he will bring. So wait a minute. Christ has won, yet he hasn't yet won? Yeah, and, and, and look at this. Just a few sentences later, here in the same chapter, Ephesians 1, it says, now he, that's Jesus, is, now he is, now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. 
not only in this world, but also in the world to come. That's kind of another way of saying not just in the physical realm, but also in the spiritual realm. God has already, past tense, put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. What? So, okay, we we get it. Jesus is the winner. He wins all of this. But come on, Paul, you can't have it both ways. It can't be happened already uh, and going to happen in the future. Can it? Actually, what I want to show you today is this. It's the next blank on your page. Is that the clear teaching of Scripture is that the reality of Christ's victory is both now and not yet. It's both now and not yet. I'm going to try to describe it as best as I can, uh, but I'm a little dumb. So work with me here, okay? You're going to work with me? Good. Oh, so good. Okay, so so, uh, clearly there's stuff that has happened in the unseen realm that we have yet to see. We understand this even just from a scientific perspective basis, right? I mean, everything we see is because of one thing, because of light, right? We can only see because of light. Light bounces off of things and photons hit our retinas and our brain interprets it and that's what we see, right? And we can see anything that's in the light, right? What if I told you that wasn't right? What if I told you you can't necessarily see everything that's in the light, You see, we all know that this is the entire uh, visible light spectrum, right? That, That all of the colors you've ever seen, all the colors you ever will see are within the visible light spectrum from, you know, uh, just out, just inside ultraviolet down into deep red, right? That's our spectrum. And we can only see those colors, but, but you know, from science that light is much better than this. We know the visual spectrum is really only a very, very, very small sliver of the energy, the light energy in the electromagnetic spectrum. We only can see a very little small part of the waves. uh, All of these waves come out of the sun and we can only see this little bit. So the new James Webb telescope is taking pictures in the uh, X-ray and UV, I think, is that what it is? Things that we can't see, but the telescope can because of its calibration that it has. We can only see a very, very small portion of what's really going on out there. So, So in reality, there's lots of things to see all around us that we can't see. That's just in the scientific realm. It's true also in the spiritual realm. There's things we can see, but there's things that we can't see, right? I mean, have you ever seen God? Have you ever seen demons? There are things that we just can't see. We just don't fully see it yet. Everything, everything is under his authority, but is everything really under his authority? I mean, yes and not yet. Think about it. You and I both know lots of people who don't live their lives submitted to God's authority. Yes, he's the ultimate authority, but yet everything has not come under his authority. Watch the news. 
Do you think God wants the murders to happen? Do you think he wants the pain going on in the Ukraine right now? Do you think God desires for children to be abused? Do you think God wants kids to be going hungry at Christmas time? So yes, everything's under his authority, but everything is not yet fully under his authority right now. He's the ruler, the victor, but we don't fully see it here yet. I promise you our politicians wouldn't be who they are if Jesus was in authority. I, I promise you the headlines would not be what they are if Jesus was in authority. You know, I, I saw the story the other day about the man convicted of murdering his former wife with a bat. I, 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 don't, think, I don't think that's a great expression of the authority of God, do you? So he is the authority in the spiritual realm, but here we don't fully see it yet. We don't fully grasp it yet. Uh, he has won, but it's not all his yet. So let me ask you, what here is under his authority? I am. And if you're a Christian, you are too. If, if you're walking with him, if you're following Christ, you are under his authority. You weren't always that way. I wasn't always that way, right? Because there was a time when I did not know him. There was a time, you know, I, I was born into this war on the wrong side. I was born into a family of enemies of God. And my very DNA carried this whole enmity with God thing. So where I was born an enemy of him and my very existence, the scripture says, made God angry, right? And I was a dead man walking. I was under his wrath, under his judgment, and I was doomed to spend eternity paying him back for what I had done against him. Yeah, all of us have been there. That's bad news. That's what it's like to not be under the authority of God. But I want to look back at this Colossians verse again that we looked at earlier. I want to look back at this verse, but I want to look at a couple of sentences preceding that as well. So we're going to look at this Colossians 2 verse again, but we're going to see a little bit more of it. Here's the, just heard the bad news. Here's the good news. Colossians 2 says that you were dead. You were not under the authority of God. You were spiritually dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. You were born into it. It was in you. But then it says, God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sins. Somebody ought to be happy about that. It goes on, it says this next, he canceled the record of the charges against us. I had built up a ledger of crimes against God, things I owed him for but he canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it with Jesus to the cross. And in this way, here it is again, here's that verse. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. That's good news. There's a lot going on around us and especially right here. Right? His victory has been won and we may not be able to see it all over the place yet, but I can see it right here. I can see it in you. 
You know, when you are living your life in submission to God, if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, if you're letting him work through you, if you're loving God, loving others, and making disciples and being made a disciple, dude, I can see that on you. You are part of his great victory. That's what it means for Jesus to come into your life. He changes you from defeat to victory. He brings the dead to life. But the world doesn't understand that. The world just can't see it yet. All creation still groans in pain from sin. Right? And believe it or not, believe it or not, this is where the next element of our warfare weapons come in. We started looking at them before. Let's look again really quickly in Ephesians 6 again. We're told to put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. So stand your ground. Uh, he goes on, he says, stand your ground, be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. We talked about that last week. And the body armor of God's righteousness. The body armor, or another translation says, the breastplate of God's righteousness. Put on righteousness. Wear righteousness. Be a person of righteousness is what this is telling us to do. Now, I want to be clear. There's two different kinds of righteousness. And I just want to be really, really clear about this. There's two kinds, okay? The first kind, I'm going to get a little nerdy on you here, okay? The first kind of righteousness is imputed righteousness. We call this justification. You receive this type of righteousness automatically when you come to Christ. It said so right there in Colossians 2. Let's look at that verse again. It says that uh, you were dead, unrighteous, no righteousness in you because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. It goes on and it says that he canceled the record of charges. So in other words, I had a long filthy list of charges against me. Charges of unrighteousness, crimes I had committed against God. And he took that away by nailing it to the cross. Now he looks at my ledger and he's got nothing against me anymore, right? He has cured me from my unrighteousness. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, shaming them publicly. So we see that he has imputed his righteousness to me. He's wiped off my debt and he declares me righteousness. That's why we call that part of salvation justification because it's just as if I had never sinned in the first place. I am justified in Christ. Unrighteousness wiped off my ledger. That's the first type of righteousness, but that's not the righteousness that Paul is talking about when he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, when he's talking about put on righteousness, he's talking about the second kind. I'm gonna call it imparted righteousness. It is, we call it sanctification it's becoming more and more righteous. It's actually living a life of 
righteous works. It's where you no longer behave the way you used to because he is creating in you a new person with new habits, new thought processes. You're not a slave to those strongholds anymore. Now you're becoming free from all that wrong, bad living that is destructive and hurtful to you. That's imparted righteousness. We call it sanctification. Does that make sense? You got the difference between the two? Yeah, Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2 says it clearly, much better than I could. Uh, it says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This is an instant. There's not a button he pushes and beam, you know, you're, you're righteous now. Beam, you're transformed, right? It's not like that. I mean, I'm in this process now. He's transforming me into a new person, changing the way that I think. I mean, I've been a Christian for a long time, you know, but I, I still have bad thought patterns. I still have fleshly thought patterns. I still have patterns in my head that lead to actions that are harmful to me, to others. And he wants you out of that bad stronghold pattern and he wants you to be transformed right so in James it says human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires so get rid of all filth and evil in your lives I'm going to say that part again get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts. Get rid of the filth. Listen, this is not a popular thing in church world anymore, even. We like to be declared righteous, but we don't like to talk about behaving righteous, right? We like to have the, the name tag, but we don't want to wear it around everywhere, you know, because it's not cool. Well, I talk that way because if I don't say those words, if I don't have that attitude, nobody at work will hear what I have to say. Oh, are you, are you pleasing your coworkers or are you pleasing Christ? Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I just, it's all there is on television anymore. It's just the filthy, nasty. I mean, it's just all there is to watch anymore. Really? I mean, are you pleasing yourself or are you pleasing Christ. I mean, we, we don't like to talk about our behavior, but listen, 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 listen. Our actions matter. Do you hear me? Our actions matter. The things you do actually make a difference in the spiritual realm and in you. Not only that, but new parents your actions certainly matter to your kids. You know, I mean, you got, you got little eyes looking to you. And the way you live your lives will determine who they become. You know, I, I know you want them to be people of integrity. You want them to be people of strong character. So you can't be, you can't be one way on Sunday morning and another way on Sunday night. You know, you can't be one way at church and another way at home. 
You can't be one way, you know, in front of this set of people and another way in front of that set of people. Our actions truly matter. I think they matter to you. In fact, I think they matter for several reasons, and I want to kind of give you two uh, big reasons here. Um, so he wants you to bear good fruit in your life, right? Not rotten, nasty fruit. He wants you to bear good fruit. You know, we have that fruit bowl that sits on our counter, and, you know, we put bananas in it. We keep bananas in there. We like bananas. I, that's just what we eat. Sherry likes having bananas. And so, you know, when you get the banana, they're, they're beautiful. They're all yellow, and they're firm, but, you know, you leave them sitting in the fruit bowl for a couple of days, and what happens? They kind of start turning brown, and they get soft. And then a few more days, and they get the spots all over them. You know what I'm talking about? They, they kind of get nasty. And, and, and here in L.A.J., I'm sure it's this way in Florida. Also, here in L.A.J., you know, in the summertime, you have that fruit that's been sitting out for a few days. What do you get? You, you get fruit flies all over the all over the place, right? And you're swatting at them, you're, you're trying to get them, and they're just everywhere. Fruit flies all over the place, you know, in your kitchen. So can't, who likes fruit flies? Anybody like fruit flies? No, nobody like, you like to eat fruit flies. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so yeah, so you got fruit flies all over the place. And so I, I didn't want to have fruit flies in the house. So we went to the store and we got the little bitty thing. It looks kind of like an apple, but it traps the fruit flies. And so um, we got the thing and I put it out on the, counter it's not electric or anything it just sits there and it's got stuff in it and it traps the fruit flies I put it out and went to bed next morning I came out and man that thing had a bunch of dead fruit flies in it the problem was there was a whole bunch more fruit flies flying all around and the thing that I learned is if you want to get rid of the fruit flies you got to get rid of the rotten fruit you know what I'm saying Here's the thing. I believe that when you have rotten fruit, when you have unrighteousness in your life, it attracts the enemy like crazy. The more unrighteousness you have, the more he sees you as an open target and it pulls him right in. So get rid of the filth in your life. Live righteous. Proverbs 4, 23 says this, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. So guard your heart. Next blank on your page, guard your heart with righteousness. Guard your heart with righteousness. You gotta, you gotta not be feeding your spiritual self a bad diet of carnal food, right? I mean, what we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, what goes in must come out. Garbage in, garbage out. So guard your heart with righteousness righteousness protect yourself with righteousness so Ephesians talks about the body armor or the breastplate this is the modern day equivalent this is what it's this is literally what it's talking about right here this is my friend Dan's um, tactical vest he's with the sheriff's department and so he wears this thing around it is Kevlar solid it'll stop a bullet hopefully Right? And, and the Bible talks about Satan uh, in these terms. It says that he is flinging, flaming arrows at you. He wants to pierce your heart. And the way to protect your heart is with the breastplate of righteousness. It, is, it means to live rightly. Your actions 
actually matter. Proverbs 13 says, righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. Righteousness guards our heart. You're protecting your heart by wearing the body armor. 1 Corinthians 6 says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He lives in you and he was given to you by God. Your body is his. In fact, it says that right here, you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. You were valuable to him and he paid the highest of prices for you. You don't belong to yourself. You don't have the right to do to your body what Satan wants you to do to your body. So honor God, honor God with your body. You are his. Guard your heart with righteousness. So that's, that's one of the big reasons, you know, you got kids, coworkers, and people that you wanna live well in front of. Uh, you also wanna guard your heart with righteousness. But I wanna point to one more reason for you. See, when our lives are different, when our behavior is actually righteous behavior, we're saying something about Christ's victory. We're saying something. When we're living, when we're living our lives the way he's called us to, we are, we are proving that the victory has been won. We are walking in that victory. When we are living our lives in a righteous way, we are declaring to the world around us, we're declaring to our family members, and we're even declaring in the spiritual realm, I can see something that you can't. I can see something has happened and it's affecting me, it's changing me. I can see the victory that Christ has won, even though you may look in the headlines and not see it, even though you may look at an abusive, neglecting family and not see it, even though you may be dealing with pain and suffering and you can't see it, when you live your life righteously, you're declaring that I can see the victory, right? In Hebrews 11, it says this, faith, living by faith, you know this definition, shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of the things we cannot see. My living by faith, my, my actually trusting in what God tells me through his word and living my life based on what he says, not what the culture says, living my life based on what he says is actually my living by faith. And it's me showing that the victory has happened. In other words, I'm fixing my eyes on the unseen and I'm bringing the unseen into the realm of the seen. Next blank on your page is this. Righteousness is how we endorse and enforce Christ's victory. It's how we endorse and enforce Christ's victory. In, um, in the book, Pilgrim's Progress, a classic Christian work, um, Bunyan, he writes about the, the pilgrim who is trying to get to the big castle. And he's getting there and he's getting close, closer and closer, but then there's a narrow pass. 
His path takes him between two cliff sides, and it's narrow. And on the side sides of the road, your enemy is chained. It's two lions, one lion on either side of the road, and the pilgrim sees the lions in the narrow pass between him and his ultimate destination. And he's scared. He's worried that he won't be able to get past the lions without getting mauled, maybe eaten. And he's fearful, but it's pointed out to him that it's okay. The lions can get into the road, but they're both on chains. And the chains are tight enough to where as long as you stay in the center of that straight and narrow and don't drift to the left or to the right, you'll be able to pass by those lions. When we live righteously, what we're doing is we're taking in the slack on the chain because your enemy, the lion, is chained. Make no doubt about it, he's been chained. It's our righteous living that takes up the slack in that chain that widens that pathway so that you can make it through, so that your kids can make it through, so that your coworkers can make it through. It's our responsibility to wear the righteousness so that we can pass and not be mauled by our enemy. Hello? Jesus is very interested in your behavior, but he's not interested in you behaving like a good little boy or a good little girl. No, he, he's not interested in you, know, you making sure that you just make God happy. Jesus wants you to walk in his victory. He wants you to overcome this world. And he wants your life to be a life that proclaims his victory into this world. He wants your right living to declare to everyone around you, I can see what you can't. I can see that Jesus has won and that victory is coming out of me right in front of you. Your right living declares to yourself, your family, your kids, your coworkers, and to the spiritual realm that Christ has won. And that reality exists right here. I'm getting to live it out. So that means that you don't cuss. Hello? It means you don't cuss. It means you don't cheat. It means that you learn where that line is when your anger flips from being angry to sinning. Right? It, it means that you know when to stop. It means you know when to start. It means you know how to love. It means that you live your life with integrity so that others can see the victory in you. The word says that we do our good works before men so that they will see those good works and they'll do what? Come on, they'll do what? They'll glorify your Father who is in heaven. Your actions matter. They matter to you and they matter all around you. Last blank on your page is this. My job is to bring their here. My job is to live in such a way so that that victory that's already been, been won in the spiritual realm comes out right here 
in the physical realm. It's a God glorifying righteousness. Mm-hmm.